Greetings, everyone. Welcome to Tomorrow's World Now, TW Now. We have a good show today. We're looking forward to uh, discussing a, a very important topic with my friends and fellow ministers and colleagues, Mr. Dexter Wakefield, Mr. Rod McNair. You've seen Mr. Wakefield, Mr. McNair, and me on the program many times, so welcome back, gentlemen. Thank you. Today's topic, God, the economy, and your future. God, the economy, and your future. A very important <coughs> topic. This affects us personally. It affects our, our, our family, our own finances. Uh, it, it affects uh, the nation and how the United States and, and other uh, nations interact with each other. Are we on friendly terms? Are we not on friendly terms? Uh, there's, there's really a lot that we're going to discuss today. We're going to really not be political, but we're going to get into politics. Um, we're, we're going to talk about uh, finances. We're going to talk about uh, the economy, uh, injustice economic and financial injustice and inequality around the world. And again, we're not going to be uh, political per se, but it will be, uh, I hope, an interesting uh, program. <clears throat> Mr. Wakefield, mm -hmm. maybe we can, um, we can start, uh, put you on the spot here at the beginning. We've been talking about the tax plan, mm -hmm. the United States tax plan, and I guess just to start right out of the, out of the gate, uh, do we feel that the new U.S. tax plan has the potential to, to really uh, you know, help the economy, help the United States economy, uh, move us in the right direction? Well, uh, I think they certainly hope so. Uh, historically, um, supply-side uh, supply production incentives have improved the economy and helped the deficit a little bit. Um, some people are wondering whether or not it's going to be popular. Uh, let me ask you, let me just mention this. Uh, all politics are local, and if it's going to be popular or unpopular, let's look at it this way. I have bad news and good news for you gentlemen. The bad news is your paychecks are not increasing in terms of your salaries, but the amount you're going to get is going to go up because the withholding within those paychecks is going down due to the reduction in taxes. So the same thing that's happening to everyone on our staff that they are receiving uh, more um, in their paycheck as a result of less withholding and lower taxes is going to happen around the country. What that also means is he may be more popular for this and that people will have more money to um, um, spend and so forth and it should produce a little boost to the economy in that respect and hopefully maybe some more tax receipts as well. And that seems to be what the Trump administration and some of those who support the tax plan are hoping for that that uh, through additional, uh, you know, at least the perception of additional income, there will be more spending and thus more tax revenue, you know, off of, off of that spending and it'll stimulate the economy and things like that. So we were having a nice discussion about Keynesian and supply side economics before the, uh, the, the program. I don't know if we'll get into that in detail today, probably bore our, our audience, but. Well, uh, we, we, could, we could mention it. Uh, <laughs> that's typically, uh, people on the liberal spectrum have uh, supported John Keynes or Keynesian economics, which holds that you spend a lot of deficits that boost the economy and it increases demand within the economy. People spend more, so then they, uh, the economy goes up. The trouble is it tends to produce inflation, which then lowers econ the real economic growth and then uh, leads to problems down the, down the road. Think the Carter administration and the Johnson administrations all produced Keynesian policies, whereas the Reagan administration and really the Kennedy administration produced supply-side things where they cut uh, taxes, increased incentives, and that caused boomlets in the economy in both cases, which produced more taxes and some benefits for, for the consumers as well. But 
uh, depending on your point of view, that's very debatable. Well, and when you take it to an extreme, consider what's happening in Venezuela right now. Mm. You know, hyperinflation, and it's, it's led to violence and unrest and, and so forth. So today's uh, program, God, the Economy, and Your Future. God, the Economy, and Your Future. Welcome mm. to TW Now. Uh, news, prophecy in your life. Uh, big questions, real answers. I'm joined by Mr. Rod McNair and Mr. Dexter Wakefield. Uh, right now, uh, the world leaders are preparing for Davos. They're preparing for Davos. Right now, we have uh, uh, President Trump uh, in Davos. I have a New York Times article, <clears throat> and I'll just make a few comments uh, from it. New York Times article. Uh, ec economics matters. Uh, economics, uh, you know, creates relationships and, and drives countries to war sometimes. President Trump is in, um, is in Davos right now. You can bring that up on the screen, the New York Times article. And it talks about him trying to patch up uh, relations with, uh, Teresa, with uh, Mrs. May out of the UK. Uh, down uh, farther in the article, Mr. Trump is only the second American president. This is farther down in the article. Mr. Trump is only the second American president to attend the World Economic Forum meeting in Davos while in office after Bill Clinton in 2000. He comes under radically different circumstances. While Mr. Clinton championed lower economic barriers, no occupant of the White House in generations has been more skeptical of free trade than Mr. Trump. He has scrapped or threatened to scrape trade agreements with countries across the Pacific, South Korea, Mexico, and Canada. This week, he slapped new tariffs on sol imported solar panels and so forth. So without getting into, you know, uh, politics, um, economics matters. Economics matters. And I guess one of the questions, and we'll come back to this, this question a couple times, is simply, are we becoming too politicized, not only here in the United States, but on the world scene? Are we seeing that economics is driving an economic policy is driving a polarization are we seeing that that that's affecting our ability to to operate as an economy to govern uh, and, and also on the world scene well one of the things that um, <clears throat> as we were talking about a little while ago um, that president trump is is obviously very focused on america first on our needs on on what's important to us and this doesn't always go over uh, very well with our neighbors across the pond and in other places and and um, so in a lot of ways what we're seeing is a more of a, a hostile antagonistic uh, relationship between some of the uh, some of the partners that is uh, when we look at Bible prophecy and we we're not uh, diving into that yet but uh, when we look at it there as you said that is going to be a major player uh, not just in, in Asia, not just in China and uh, Russia, but in Europe as well, uh, where, which has been our, uh, one of our allies for, for decades and decades. I think one of the biggest fears is trade war. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's when happens when one uh, country starts raising tariffs and raising barriers to trade to protect its own industries, then the other countries retaliate. And that happened in the... Uh, early 1930s, and it was greatly exacerbating the, the Great uh, Depression. Um, I mentioned uh, we had an excellent article written on that last year. Did you write it? It was extremely <laughs> well written article <laughs> written on, on that last year. How did I know? <laughs> how, how did you guess that? Uh, but it, it did talk about the, the looming problem of trade war, and that's what some of the people are, around the country are afraid of, that if the United States starts creating America first trade barriers, then rather than balancing trade, it could produce retaliation, and then that hurts everyone. Well, and uh, President Trump has been picked up in the, uh, in, the, in the news 
as tweeting as recently as uh, this morning and yesterday that he's going to Davos to, to promote the America First agenda. Now, <clears throat> I think all of us understand that we should try to take care of our own finances, our own family, our own health. Uh, absolutely, you know, we, we, we should do that. That's logical. But, uh, you know, touting and pushing this America First agenda, it, it is causing some, some uh, fractures in these alliances and these friendships that we've had for all these many years. A lot of it depends on whether you pursue it as a zero-sum game, as trade war does, or whether you pursue it in in concert with other countries and balancing things out in a proper way. In other words, you do things in parallel with common interests. And I, I think the White House privately is, I'm reading, that they are emphasizing the latter course as opposed to the zero sum where we get it and you don't. Whatever we gain, you lose. Uh, so I'm hoping that's going to be the case, and I think that's the key to any success that he may have there or failure. He's, he's got a lot of pressure to, from at home for those who have lost jobs, who have seen uh, companies go to Mexico and uh, South America and overseas, um, where, and those people who are, who are upset. And, and he, he was elected on, on that uh, largely on, on uh, people who are upset with not being able to have, have jobs here in this country. So uh, it's an interesting conundrum, uh, and it'll be interesting how it plays out. Well, unemployment is at, is at historic lows mm -hmm. right now. Um, what, 4 point, I forget, 4.5, around that area. It used to be that 5% was considered structural unemployment. That is, you can't go lower than that. But we are lower than that now. So I believe he thinks because unemployment is so low that he has some wiggle room as far as producing this. I just hope it doesn't get out of hand. Mm -hmm. uh, <clears throat> we are talking about the economy, finances, both locally, nationally, as well as worldwide. And uh, you know, we're, we're praying for President Trump, and we're supposed to pray for all of our, our leaders. So that, that's, that's biblical, and we're not, um, uh, we're not political. We're not Democrats, we're not Republicans. We, you know, we, are, we are Christians. And, uh, but it's becoming very politicized. I, wanna, I, want, I, I grabbed a Fox News article and a Huffington Post article. That way I figured I could make everybody upset with me who's listening in today. Uh, so if, if, you're, if you don't like Fox News, then, then, uh, then I've got that article. And if you don't like Huffington Post on the other end of the spectrum, I've got that article. So, so uh, you know, everybody can be a little bit upset with me. So here's a Fox News article. Uh, that just came out, and it shows you how, how uh, politicized think things are. Uh, Trump and Schumer's battles from the government shutdown to immigration reform. This uh, came out uh, very, very recently. And down a couple pages, you have them quoting some, some tweets from, from President Trump. Uh, and he, and what, what's driving this is, is Mr. Trump's understanding that in order to get legislation to move forward, you have to have the votes. That's, you know, he's working a, a strategy, he is. Uh, to, his, to his credit. So anyways, the last week, the last thing we need, this is a, 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 a Trump quote, uh, the last thing we need in Alabama, this goes, references back a few weeks, and the U.S. Senate is a Schumer-Pelosi puppet who was weak on crime, weak on the border, bad for our military and, and our great vets, bad for our Second Amendment, amendment and who wants to raise taxes to the sky. Uh, Jones <coughs> would be a disaster, Trump tweeted in November 2017. Uh, one more, one more uh, Trump quote. <clears throat> uh, putting Pelosi, Schumer, liberal puppet Jones into office in Alabama would hurt our great Republican agenda of low on taxes, tough on crime, and so forth. Now, these are interesting. They're colorful. Mr. Trump uses social media uh, in a strong way. 
But what it demonstrates is the, the, the polarization. On the other end of the spectrum, we have this, this Huffington Post article. I just want to take a quote or two from here. Uh, the GOP tax law may be growing a little less unpopular. Uh, uh, Huffington Post. I just laughed and you just snickered uh, just the way they write the article. They, the, the headline, they won't even give Mr. Trump credit. You know, the GOP tax law may be growing a little less popular. Well, there, that's, that's spin. Less unpopular. That's, less unpopular. Yeah, yeah, less unpopular, yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Well, no, it's, it's, it's actually pretty wildly popular. But anyways, the Huffington Post article um, says the following. The tax overhaul that Mr. Trump signed into law just before Christmas remains relatively unpopular and highly polarizing. Well, I actually say it's, it's pretty popular, but it, it's polarizing. Are we becoming too polarized? And is, frankly, Satan using economics as a way to polarize the United States and the United States via v the rest of the world? Well, there certainly is a, a lot of economic polarization in the United States. Um, and, and in the world. Um, just uh, to give an example, um, the top 1% of our country pays about 46% of the taxes. So that's very progressive. The top 20% pays about 84% of the taxes. However, of the uh, U.S. households, that um, the, the wealth of the wealthier households has been growing a great deal in uh, the last, say, uh, six or eight years, as opposed to the wealth of the uh, smaller households. I can talk about why that is. One of the biggest reasons of it and has been uh, quantitative easing. And I don't want to go into too much of all of this, but just to mention, this is by an article appeared in the Wall Street Journal a few days ago by um, Martin Feldstein, who was chairman of the Economic Advisors under President Reagan and is a prof at Harvard. Uh, just um, something that he wrote here. This is about quantitative easing. All of the money that was pushed into the economy a few years ago. I'll just read a few things. The Fed also began buying long-term bonds and mortgage-backed securities more than quintupling its balance sheet to $4.4 trillion. So, in other words, the Fed pushed huge sums of money, massive sums of money, into the economy. And here's the reason why they did it. Mr. Bernanke, who was at the time was Federal Reserve Chairman, explained that this unconventional monetary policy was designed to, to encourage an asset substitution effect. Investors would shift out of bonds into equities, meaning stocks and real estate. So what do we have? Stock market went sky high, didn't it, mm -hmm. during that period of time? What happened to real estate? Real estate went sky high during that period, too. The resulting rise in household wealth the theory was, would push up consumer spending and strengthen the economic recovery. And the strategy worked as Bernanke had predicted. Now, that is classic, classic trickle-down economics. The trouble is, all of that money went to the people who had the assets. Mm -hmm. That's where it went. Mm -hmm. So if you were a big holder of stocks, then you got all of that. If you had a million-dollar house, it's worth $2 million now. So that's one of the biggest reasons for the redistribution of wealth, so forth, in the country, or the growth on the, on the wealthy as opposed to the less. And that is highly polarizing in the current political climate. Which is a huge uh, social issue. And if we look at other, uh, other civilizations that have collapsed, that is one of the things that happens toward the end of their uh, their heyday is you have the, the rich get richer, the, the poor get poor, and there's, there's this, this massive 
disgruntled uh, mass of humanity that, mm. that is uh, upset and, and, and can't abide that. And guess who just got a big tax cut? Well, everybody got some, but much of the tax cut had to fall on the people who were paying the taxes. For instance, the um, bottom 50% of the American taxpayer, if you're in that, you paid only about 11% of the taxes the last couple of years. If you were in the top 50%, you paid um, more like about 89% of the taxes. So in order to have a tax cut, the people who are paying the taxes have to get the cut. And that is polarizing. The bulk of the, so you're reading um, from, say, the Huffington Post, they are emphasizing that the, um, the rich or the higher taxpayers are getting all the cuts, but the lower are getting some. Mm -hmm. that's, that's us. Right. That's mm -hmm. us. Okay. So that we are, are getting some, right? That yeah. are temporary. Yeah, I think several years. Aren't there some of them going to expire then after several years? I think. Well, or they're set to. Like they're set to expire if if the legislator doesn't doesn't extend them. Unless and I think that's the them. argument that that yeah. nobody's going to not extend them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So we've had. Um, you mentioned civilizations collapsing. Uh, this is an ancient history. Okay, we, we've had um, Venezuela is happening now. Uganda, uh, Uruguay, Turkey went through a, an economic uh, meltdown a few year, years ago. Uh, many African nations have. So we've had you know modern nations that have had economic meltdown. Uh, economic law works, and and I think the United States is heading toward um, toward a, a, a debt crisis that that you know we are not going to be able to to pull ourselves out of. Please share the, uh, the program with your friends out there on Facebook and YouTube. We do thank you for joining us. Today's um, program is, uh, the, uh, is God, the Economy, and Your Future. We're talking about U.S. debt, U.S. tax, and also economic inequality around the world. Uh, please do share the, the program. I'm joined by Mr. Rob McNair and Mr. Uh, Dexter Wakefield. <coughs> Let's talk a little bit about can this be solved. We're going to move, move along. And uh, let me um, just bring up an article here. This is from The Week, and it sort of illustrates how big the debt problem is. So this is from The Week, The National Debt Explained. And it says the U.S. debt is at $20.5 trillion and rising. Should we be worried? Now, that's a big number. People have a hard time getting their head around it. I do. But let me read from the article a little bit farther down in the article. It talks about who owns the debt, and you keep going down, and uh, what can be done to pay it off. Toward the end, it, it talks about other countries' debt as well. <clears throat> in sheer dollars, the U.S. Is, a, is the most indebted country in the world. Now, we should just pause there for a second. That should really make people think. In sheer dollars, we're, we're the most indebted country in the world. I guess there's some good news uh, in a way. <clears throat> there are other countries, so followed by Japan and China, but in relation to the size of the economy, there's other countries whose debt is bigger than, uh, than ours. Mm -hmm. But I guess it's kind of like saying, well, you know, we're all in a building that's burning down, but, you know, we're all trapped in it together. I mean, I don't know how, <coughs> how much that makes me feel, uh, feel good. And, you know, so uh, I guess, you know, can we legislate our way out of this? Can we work our way out of it? Um, we're, not, we're not economists, right? right. We're right. ministers. But, but we... You know, we, we do watch the news and, and we prep for this. And what are you gentlemen's and, thoughts? Well, what's astonishing is it, it goes up a trillion dollars every year. I mean, there is a point. And, and have we reached to that point yet where it's the point of no return? Uh, depending on who you ask, you know, uh, yes or, may, or soon or, you know, in five years or what, ten years. But at some point when you're not paying off, whether it's household or whether it's this debt, 
uh, if it's not, if we're not even holding our ground, I mean, at some point, it, it engulfs you and it swallows you up. Mm -hmm. I've got even more bad news. <laughs> well, really, uh, it's not just the straight debt that we have, it's something called unfunded liabilities. Mm. And for instance, a lot of the pension programs out there, whether municipal, state, or, or so forth, they, uh, they do not have enough money in their pension plan to cover their liabilities. So they have something called an unfunded liability. And these are massive sums, sums of money. Just the United States has a, a stat I got off of the U.S. debt clock says that we have a $112 trillion, with a T, hmm. trillion dollar unfunded liability for this country. So we have uh, not only the debts that we owe directly, but liabilities that do not appear on the c country's balance sheet that far outweigh the other things. If you put them all together, how on earth can we deal with hmm. that? The, um, the debtor is, is uh, the creditor is going to own the debtor one of yeah. these days. Well, and one, what isn't it that China is our today uh, is the nation that owns the most of our debt when you line up the other nations, 5% or, or yep. whatever. China and Japan are the two biggest. The two biggest. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, here, especially China, we don't exactly have a warm and cozy relationship, and, and that's a dangerous place to be. Uh, with a with a nation that could very easily be is a rival now could very easily be a uh, an enemy. Well, here's some what ifs. <clears throat> what if uh, China and other other creditors uh, cease cease financing us? What if uh, China and Europe and others continue to try to move to other currencies as the main currencies? Uh, what what if? So l before we get real far into prophecy. Just what, what would be some of the immediate consequences? Okay, well, um, <laughs> I don't want to get too far off into the, into the weeds on this, but the reason why China owns so much and Japan owns so much of our debt is we've had huge trade deficits with them. Every year, I've, I don't have the numbers here, but we have massive trade deficit. We buy much more from China than we sell them. Well, how do they solve the problem? They take all of those dollars and they put them into U.S. Treasuries. They buy our treasuries with them. If they stop buying our treasuries, how, do the, how is the deficit financed? They have to find something else to do with those dollars. So in a, in a certain sense, we're all rowing the same boat towards the same reef in this, in this matter. And uh, the whole th we're, we're sort of in that boat together. It would be very hard for them to stop doing that without hurting themselves and us. We would have to stop buying their goods, which would hurt their economy. Um, I think China has other plans for us, which we'll probably get through, uh, get to a little bit later. But um, that is a, a very tricky aspect of the trade deficit. The, America's dollar trade deficit is financed with dollars, and the dollar is the international currency. So we pe keep putting that currency out there, and then the nations use it to trade for the international trade purposes. Which is another vulnerability, isn't it? Because they're already talking about, like we, we were talking about before, uh, alternative uh, currencies that could become as big as the dollar, and that would have a huge impact on our, our, our economy. You want to talk about that now? You want to get to that a little bit later? Let's bring up, I, I want to talk about it now. Let's bring up the U.S. debt clock. Um, I think the control room has that full <coughs> screen on that. Now, I see a lot of red on the U.S. debt clock, and, and we don't have to talk about those particular numbers, but we have in the top left corner uh, 20 
trillion plus U.S. national debt. Uh, we have the U.S. Uh, uh, interest paid. Uh, there's a lot of red on this on this this chart. And so, really, the question becomes, and leave this up for a few seconds. The question just becomes: Have we reached the point of no return already? You know, is it unsustainable? Uh, we are in more debt now than our, in, and this is in real dollars, than the entire economic output, the entire U.S. economy. Our debt is larger than the entire economy is, you know, produces per year. How do you work your way out of that? If I said to you, and we can take that off the, off the screen. So if I said to you, uh, Mr. McNair, you know, well, you know, uh, I'm in debt. Um, and so you said, well, here's the way to get out of debt. Um, you know, you're going to have zero dollars that you're going to be able to spend on food and clothing and, and, and your heating and air conditioning and your gas. You just got to, just zero. You, you, you've, got to, you've got to cut to zero. And, and you'll get out of debt in a, in a year or so. How do I yeah, do that? I mean, it's a conundrum. My assumption is that there's, there, the experts on this are thinking we have to grow ourselves out of it because we can't do that, can we? We right. can't go down to, to, to uh, no... Uh, zero expense. Zero expense. So we have to grow ourselves out of it, and I think that's what the attempt is with the tax cut. But the question is, uh, you know, and that's the big question. Is it possible, and have we reached that point? You know, uh, it just seems, uh, it, it's hard to say, but it sure seems like every day that goes by as a as an bystander, it's more and more dangerous. Well, and the, the classic answer to the question of how do we get out of all of this debt is hyperinflation. And that's been used in the past. You know, we had uh, in the late 70s, we had uh, inflation that really took off and got out of control. So we had extremely high interest rates and um, in order to bring it under control before it com got completely out of control. You mentioned Venezuela, the poor suffering people. They are just, oh boy, it's just, you're so sad for, for what goes on in many of these countries when this hyperinflation happens and it just harms the people. Other countries as well have done that. But it, um, the, the idea, and you're absolutely correct, is to grow the country so that the debt ratios don't get out of whack. But they keep growing so much now it doesn't seem to be working. And there are other things uh, that can happen that would cause us to suddenly get into trouble as opposed to slowly over time. You know, we had a friend uh, growing up that we knew, an older man who was, had uh, lived in, in Germany um, just, uh, just before the war and, and um, in the 30s. <coughs> and he would tell stories about how they used to take, a, in his words, a bushel basket of money uh, to buy a loaf of bread, mm -hmm. and um, you know, we, how far off is that from happening to us? Well, and I would also say that I've read about some very clever schemes of debt abrogation uh, that have been mentioned around the world for other countries. Not that the U.S. would do them, but uh, uh, there may be ways, but they're all painful and damaging. And it, <coughs> excuse me, and sometimes damaging to your 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 neighbors, your partners, your your national partners. Uh, you know, Germany was facing was dealing with hyperinflation before World War II, mm -hmm. and uh, what 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 was the result? You know, fascism and, and so forth, uh, hyper war, hyper nationalism and war. Continent, but yeah. they also had a clean start economically because their debts were wiped out right. for the most part. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting. Yeah. Uh, that's happened to Argentina a couple of times as well. So the question mm -hmm. then becomes. Um, social and economic reform. Let's turn the corner a little bit on this conversation and let's, let's talk a little bit about what the Bible 
uh, indicates God's you know, f uh, form of, of economics is. Uh, contrary to what some people might think, God talks about economics and there are economic principles. There's, there's principles we understand about uh, opening your hand to the poor, but there are, there, are, there are principles found in the Old Testament and the New. And so let, let's talk a little bit about, about those principles. And, and, and also, maybe before we, we talk about some of the solution, um, you know, prophetically, uh, we are heading toward a time where it talks about our, our creditors, you know, rising up against us potentially. So uh, comments on where we're headed prophetically. What, what are there some scriptures we can give to our audience that, that reveal where we're going? And then beyond that, are there some maybe promises that we can turn to about, you know, will it get better in, in the future under God's, under God's government, under God's rule? You know, just uh, to start off, Deuteronomy 28 uh, gives a long list of all the blessings that Israel would receive if they obeyed God and all the curses they would have if they didn't. And um, it, it's just so classic. He says in verse 45, Moreover, all these curses shall come upon you, uh, shall pursue you and overtake you till you be destroyed because you hearken not unto the voice of the Lord your God. He says in verse 43, after talking about how their, their trees and the fruit of their land and uh, their grapes and their wine would not uh, yield, uh, finally, verse 43, the stranger that is within you shall get up above you very high. You shall come down very low. He shall lend to you, and you shall not lend to him. He shall be the head, you shall be the tail. Uh, the, the lender, the, the borrower is servant to the lender. And my understanding is back in the 80s was the last time we were a, a lending nation. We've been a creditor nation, ever, uh, a borrowing nation ever since. And here, it's a part of a curse. It's a part of a result of, of, uh, of a spiral of morality, immorality. And uh, God said it back uh, thousands of years ago. That's exactly right. And we, we'd mentioned once before the, the problem the United States faces of having massive amounts of currencies being used internationally as the reserve currencies. And uh, that's actually good because we need an international reserve currency and the world has been using the dollar for, for quite some time. Um, however, the Asian states, particularly led by China, China's been buying up gold and they've been talking about having a gold-backed alternative currency to the United States. Wars have been fought over smaller matters and this could produce an economic collapse, certainly for the dollar, and then the ramifications for the United States downstream would be horrific. So, and these things can happen quickly. Uh, you know, we tend to think in a steady state mm -hmm. as things going a little bit down. But sometimes in economic things, things happen suddenly, like you're bending a stick and then suddenly it snaps. So that could happen to a lot of our financial issues as we go down the road. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> I, I thought it would probably come up, so you, you uh, made me think of it. Uh, Habakkuk 2 verse 7, uh, Old Testament prophecy, and it talks about, will not, will not your creditors rise up suddenly? Will they not awaken who oppress you, and you will become their plunder, their, their booty? And that, that's, that's after a number of, uh, of, of, of verses here where God's talking about basically people being wicked and disobedient and so forth, and then you have this, this notion of a, of a sudden uh, calamity, economic calamity, which can lead to, to you know, can lead to, to war and, and, and conflict. Hmm. So, can 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 the ec can economics lead to 
to yeah. Great Tribulation, which we talk about and warn about. Right, absolutely. And, and on the other side, on the positive side, what is, what did you mention, what does God say about uh, what are the, some of the, the basis, basics of, 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 a, of the right economy, the right type of system? Well, Paul talked about that. He said in, in uh, 2 Thessalonians 3 and verse 10, uh, obviously he was dealing with a very specific uh, situation with people, but it's the principle. He said, um, uh, for even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. For we hear that there are some who walk among you disorderly, not working, not at all, but are busybodies. Uh, now them that are such we command and exhort by our Lord Jesus Christ that they with quietness do their work and eat their own bread. You know, there's a, there's a, there's a corresponding blessing from work. And that's, that's the way God has built it. That's the way he's set it up. Uh, that those who are able to work, they work. And they're, they're blessed for it. it we, we just need a system that is equitable to make that happen. All too often in today's uh, age, uh, people all, oftentimes, even who want to work, uh, get stuck in ruts and can't get out of it. You know, the, uh, we talk about tomorrow's world, and that's what we talk about here on, on this program and also the Mars World program and magazine. What we do is look at what the world tomorrow is going to be like in God's millennial kingdom. And we can get a clue as to what the economics are going to be like there from his statutes, which are a fascinating study to, uh, to go into some of them. Maybe we'll have just a couple of minutes mm -hmm. to talk about those. <clears throat> yeah, let's take a few minutes, yeah. Okay, well, let's just look at one. Let's take the gleaning statute, where uh, it means that if you, you do not go out and take every last piece of grain from your field, every last sheaf. You leave some out there so that the poor and the people who don't have their own land can go out and they can glean it and pick it up. These are people who are not employed, and they, what they have is labor. So it makes it possible for the poor to eat, to have what they need, it makes it possible for them work to work. But also, something people often o overlook is that it keeps the landowner from being greedy because it takes a huge amount of effort to get up every last little bit out there to scrape the, you know, the land clean of everything there. Only a greedy person would do that. So it guards against poverty, it guards against greed. Maybe we can look for those features in the way God runs his laws and his uh, economies in the world tomorrow. There's, there's principles all throughout the Bible. Proverbs 22, 22, don't rob the poor. Uh, you know, God made the poor and the rich, and it says that, I'm not, I'm not looking at it right now, but I think they're putting it on screen. Oh, there, it's on screen. Do not rob the poor because he is poor, nor oppress the afflicted. <coughs> Verse 23, for the Lord will please their, plead their cause and plunder the soul of those who plunder them. Mm -hmm. So it's a principle. That's a principle in Proverbs based on a statute, or maybe the statute's based on the principle. But God, um, God expects us to work, right? It also says in Proverbs that you're to prepare your house prepare your field before you go off and, and get married, right? You're to prepare your outside before, I think it's Proverbs 24, 27. Mm -hmm. um, so God expects us to work, as you were saying, Mr. McNair, but God also wants there to be fairness. And, mm -hmm. and right now we, we have a world economic system that's out of kilter. Mm -hmm. um, and there are, well, there's that, there's that article, I, I wanted to mention it. Um, it's, uh, let's bring this up real quick. I think we, we can still talk about statutes, Mr. Wakefield mm -hmm. and Mr. McNair, and, and what God will, 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 the laws he will implement in the future. But here's, a, here's an article, and it demonstrates the inequality. Mm -hmm. uh, top CEOs take four days, and this is, so this is uh, garment fashion CEOs. This is fashion industry CEOs. Top 
CEOs take four days to earn what a Bangladesh worker will earn their entire life. The, and it says in this article, a couple of paragraphs down, the billionaire boom is not a sign of a thriving economy, but a symptom of a failing economic system, said this Oxfam International Executive Director. Uh, the people who make our clothes and send our phones and so forth, you know, so is that fair? You know, is that fair? And, and will God, you know, God's not against um, wealth. You look, at, you look at how he blessed ancient Israel and, and they had, they had a, a wonderful, beautiful temple to, to honor God and glorify him with gold and all. But um, that inequality, that imbalance. Mm. Right. Well, right. The, uh, you and I were talking about this. Uh, boy, we could go on about this for a good while. But uh, if, if, you, if you're a Marxist, you think that the state owns the means of production. And in the ancient world, the land was the means of production. In a capitalist society, uh, you have um, all kinds of institutions owning the means of production, but they still have people, like in Bangladesh, who really get very little of the benefits of it. Uh, it can be a great deal of, of spread in the rich and the poor. But in, uh, in the kingdom of God, we can look to his statutes, and for instance, you were mentioning the uh, Jubilee Law. Why don't we mm -hmm. talk about that briefly, because I love that one. Yeah, it's amazing. It, it's right in the Bible. It's right in the Old Testament, and you think of Old Testament, you know, many people have a negative view of the Old Testament. But in Leviticus chapter 25, it talks about, first of all, the first few uh, verses talk about a year of release every seven years, when debts were released. Wow, wouldn't that be wonderful? Wouldn't that be amazing and, and, and let people get out of a cycle of debt? And then every 50 years or 49 years, uh, then it says in verse 10, you shall hallow the 50th year and proclaim liberty throughout all the land unto all the inhabitants thereof. It shall be a jubilee unto you. You shall return every man to his possession and shall return every man to his family. In other words, the, the property would go back to the inherited uh, family and uh, so it, it, it produces all kinds of incredible uh, good incentives, uh, like we were talking about, that uh, reduce uh, poverty and also reduce this, the, the wealthy getting incredibly wealthy. Yeah. Uh, there's a tendency for people who have to get, them that has gets. And so you have the wealthy accumulating more and more land, getting more and more profit, accumulating more and more land, and it just happens to work that way. Um, in a, an, uh, an incentive-based economy like they have there and like we have here now. What this does, it keeps that from happening by causing it to revert. So people plan ahead. You can only own something for 50 years, or if you buy it, maybe it'll only be 30 or 40 or 20 years, something like that. And then it goes back at some point. But it also prevents greed because the incentive for greed is structured out of the system, which is one of the things that, that I like. God, mm -hmm. he had it in those days, and exactly how it will function in, uh, in the kingdom of God, in tomorrow's world, in a much more modern society, if it's how it shapes up, I don't know. But uh, it will, these features of God's character, of taking care of the poor, of keeping large accumulations of wealth from, from happening, and also having disincentives for greed, I think is, are going to be features of the system that we can look forward to in the future. That's beautiful. Yeah. And, and God, God's, God's way is a way of prosperity. In Deuteronomy 15, I was just looking it up. Uh, let's not turn to it, but it's Deuteronomy 15, verse uh, 3, 4, 5. 
<clears throat> God is talking about the year of release, which you, you gentlemen were both talking about. And there's this beautiful comment in there in verse 4 where he says, basically God says, look, you know, there's not going to be poor among you because I'm going to bless you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> if you. If you keep my laws, you, you keep my, 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 my financial laws, my economic laws, the, you know, all, all of God's laws. You know, here's, here's the rules for release and so forth. Mm -hmm. But he inserts this little almost parenthetical thought. Yeah. I've always looked at that and thought, that's just so wonderful. You know, he's, but, he, he says, there's not going to be poor among you. But even if there are who, then, for, for bad decisions, for whatever, if they lose it for a generation, it doesn't right. become a, a cyclical thing generation after generation. It's, right. it's wonderful. It's not a self-perpetuating problem where right. we have today, where we have people that are in debt and they can't get out, and, and uh, you know, they can't afford to send their mm -hmm. kids to college and this and that, and they're working five jobs, and how do you get educated? And then, right. you know, Now, often sin ends up bringing those consequences. Right. Um, and even what you mentioned, Mr. McNair, you know, um, in the Old Testament, if you make bad decisions, but in the kingdom... I think that's going to be one of our jobs will be to, to teach people to make the right decisions right. and use these principles to make the right decisions. And God will bless mm -hmm. the, the world with, with prosperity. You mentioned debts being wiped out in seven years. That doesn't mean every seven years your credit card balance goes away. Right. It means that every seven years the debt amortizes off. Mm. In other words, you don't get in, stay in long-term debt that way. We should probably wrap it up. We've gone a little long. My apologies for that. Thank you for joining us today. A good conversation. I hope you all enjoyed it about economics and, uh, and, and, and God and, and our future and, and the future of the world. Join us each, each uh, Thursday at uh, 3 o'clock Thursday for TW Now. Uh, Bible uh, answers to your questions. We'll see you again next Thursday at 3 o'clock. See you.